Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. I'm excited to be here with you guys uh, this morning. Uh, We're continuing our series, Not Ashamed. Uh, where we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy, and Stephen started us off uh, just amazingly last week. Thank you, Stephen, for that. I know he's, uh, he's watching online today, and um, thank you so much for that. If you guys didn't get a chance to catch that message and, and, uh, and kind of catch the start of this series, uh, definitely go watch it. It's all, all those videos are up on our Facebook um, account. Facebook Live records all those and saves those, and so, uh, you know, if you haven't had a chance to do that, you'll definitely... Uh, appreciate more the context that Stephen brought to the whole book of 2 Timothy and Paul's life and Timothy's life as we're kind of transitioning into the second chapter now. Um, I want to ask you guys kind of a question Um, as we get started this morning. Have you ever thought, have you ever thought about what your, what your last words would be? Like, like, like if you, you know, were on death row, hypothetically speaking, and, and you, we're going to say something, you know, uh, or maybe, you know, you've been given a terminal diagnosis of some horrible disease and, and, and you're thinking about, you know, there's going to come a moment where my life is extinguished and I want to pass something on uh, of value and significance as the last thing that I utter here on this planet. Have you ever thought what those words might be? I was uh, kind of shocked, honestly, when I was studying for this sermon this morning, and I, I was reading about William Tyndale, uh, and uh, if you don't know who that is, he was a, a, an early Bible translator, perhaps the very first, um, uh, you know, full translation into English um, that, was, that was available, and, um, and uh, he, he worked very diligently to bring the Bible to other people, and of course, um, the Catholic Church would have none of that. Um, the Catholic Church um, uh, arrested him. And uh, executed him for that sin of uh, bringing the Bible to English-speaking peoples. uh, Where you could sit in your living room with an open copy uh, of the Lord's Word and and just read it. (laughs) That is a uh, a privilege bought with blood that uh, maybe, maybe you don't fully appreciate. But I'll tell you what hit me about William Tyndale as I was studying for this. And I, I didn't even put it in my notes, but it just is sitting here resonating with me, and I need to share it with you. You know the last words that William Tyndale ever spoke? May God open the eyes of the king of England. It's the last words that he ever spoke. A prayer for the person who was ultimately in charge in some ways of his own death to open his eyes and see that there is more at stake here, that people need to read the word and that he needs to read the word and maybe be converted. And and, and there's so many questions about what goes on in that, but those words are monumental, (laughs) in my opinion. And and, and I thought to myself, what would I say? (laughs) If you had one last letter to write, if you had one last thing to say, if you had one moment in time frozen uh, for eternity where you could write down or pin something, that would leave a mark and a legacy as you went on into the next life, what would it be? Would you write to your family? Would you say something about your spouse or your children? Maybe speak about how much you care for them and how much you love them? 
Would you give some lasting advice, some piece of wisdom or information that helped you through life? Would you pass it on down to the next generation, to your, your sons or your daughters? Would you wish that they would have something to carry with you or with them of you in this life? Would you, uh, would you leave instructions maybe in some way concerning your affairs? Maybe there were some things left undone that you needed. You know, I know a lot of people uh, kind of record a note or a, a, a video in the form of a will where they're leaving instructions about things, right? And, and I want this to go down, and this is how I want, and, and maybe it's a chance to offer reconciliation between family members and, and, and all these wishes and wants that you, you want. Would you try to encourage the people that you left behind? These are the kind of questions that come to my mind as we read 2 Timothy. As Stephen pointed out last week, this is very likely, we can't say for sure, but very likely one of the last, if not the last letter that Paul writes. And it's certainly his last one that we have to Timothy. And the whole tone of the book is surrounded by this air of understanding that Paul is moving on from here. And, and, and he's, got to, he's got to figure out what to say. <laughs> and his mind in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is on the next generation. It's on the people that are going to follow in his footsteps as he continues this walk somewhere else. <laughs> he's thinking about Timothy. And he's thinking about the people that Timothy would affect, you and I included, in that group. There was going to be people that were going to continue in this Christian faith for thousands of years after Paul left the scene. And he's thinking about those guys, and he's thinking about what do we do to make sure that they are built up and strong and encouraged. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you have, or excuse me, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be reading a good section of it here. Very beginning couple of verses say something very simple, but I think they're profound. It says this, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I'm going to read that a second time just so that we have it in our heads before we continue on. Uh, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that faithful men pass down these words to us today. Thank you, Father, for your love and your grace and your mercy. May we always rest and find power in those. God, be with us as we seek to be approved by you. And we pray, God, that you would uh, carry us through this morning's message, God. Help me as I recall the things that I've studied. And Father, be with us all as we try not just to hear your words, God, not just even to study them, but God, to apply them. Help us, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. 
The first thing Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is, my child, <laughs> you, right? And, and Stephen did a great job. I don't want to recap everything he did, but uh, last week of explaining to us this deep, wonderful relationship that Paul uh, and his uh, disciple Timothy uh, shared, right? I mean, he, they call each other son and father. Uh, they, they, they are so close and they spend so much time together that, that Paul looks uh, on, on Timothy as his own his own child, you know, my son in the faith, this, this uh, uh, extension of me going out into the world, and, and they share a deep and passionate bond that he calls back uh, to, rem- uh, to memory as he starts off this thing. My child, I've got some things for you to do. My son, if you want to be like me, uh, do like this, right? And he says what? Simply to be strengthened by the grace of that it is in Christ Jesus. Now, I, I don't know about you, and maybe we're different, and that's okay. Uh, but when I think of grace, strength is not the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> uh, I, I know that's kind of, maybe, maybe that's blasphemy to say, I don't know. But the, the first thing, when I think of somebody who is graceful, I think of a ballerina, okay? I think of somebody who is able to move very, you know, suavely, and like, you know, this is all like super nice, and, and, and grace, and you know, somebody who has grace, and poise, and dignity. Uh, of course, we're talking about uh, unmerited favor in this case, and we're talking about that general extension of what that looks like in the scriptures, but the first thing I think is not, wow, that would make me super powerful if only I could have grace, right? Well, in Paul's mind, it does. Remember last week, Stephen started talking to us about, uh, uh, you know, in uh, chapter 1, where Paul talked uh, about the spirit that is inside of us, not one of timidity or cowardice, as we learned, but one of power and love and self-control, right? Uh, These ideas are baked into this. And that word, you remember power, who remembers what it was? Power, last week. Word for power, anybody. Okay, dunamis, right? Dynamite, right? There's this huge, explosive, powerful thing uh, that is tempered, as we talked about last week, with love. Well, here Paul uses that word again in the form uh, of a verb, and he says, um, and not, not the verb uh, dunamis, but indunamo. Okay? Indunamo. And, and this word is literally like almost a transliteration. You could look at it like empower indunamo, right? Like this is like the, the same idea to strengthen, to, to, uh, to imbue with this uh, explosive energy and to make it something uh, that's inside of you. Empower yourself, he says. Empower yourself. With your own physical might? No. With your own intellect? No. With your uh, winning personality? No. What does he say to empower yourself with? The grace. The grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, grace can empower us to do beautiful things in the kingdom of God, but not like we normally think right? When we're relying on our own strength, when we're relying on our own power, we often miss out on what God could do with us. Because the, the, the truth is, when we try to apply our might to a situation, most of the time we just screw it up. <laughs> I, I mean, truthfully and honestly, like uh, the scriptures say, the anger of man does not uh, accomplish the righteousness of God, right? And, and this is kind of how we approach situations, you know? We're like, man, that guy's wiling out. I'm gonna go over there. I'm going to tell him something, you know, like I'm going to get over there. And we're, even in the church, people talk like this. You know, I, I know you guys are shocked. People are like, oh, man, that guy's 
just, oh, God, I'm, we're going to figure that out, you know. We're going to figure that out right now, you know. And, and they have this bravado and this, this act of power that really equates to nothing in Jesus' eyes. Because the only way that you're going to truly make a change or an effect in someone's life, like Paul is going to be talking about, is if you do it through the power that comes from grace. Keeping in mind that not only is that person a child covered under the grace of Jesus Christ, but you yourself are a child covered under the grace of Christ. And if it was not for him, you are worthless and you are useless and you have nothing. You're not the man. He's the man. Power through grace, he says. Strengthen yourself up and gird yourself with this. For what reason? Why fuel yourself with grace? Well, because there's something that needs to be done. He says in verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, there's a job at hand, and Paul is leaving, and Paul's a hard worker. I mean, if you look at the stuff that Paul has done uh, in the book of Acts, and you look at all the letters that he wrote, I mean, we have so much of the New Testament to thank Paul for, right? Uh, And we're all very thankful of that idea. Um, uh, We have so much uh, from this guy. He was a hard worker, and, 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 you know, look, it's not not his fault that he's he's a little scared. What's going to happen when I leave? If we don't have a plan in place, this whole thing could just fall apart, right? Who's going to continue to teach people? Who's going to continue to lead people when I'm gone? And there's a a need, there's a vacuum that's going to be left when Paul steps out of this life. And he wants to make sure that everything's going to be okay when he's gone. (laughs) He's putting into place a, a plan to make sure that people are ready. You see, Christianity is a team sport, (laughs) Uh, It's not something that you do by yourself, right? Uh, uh, Delegation is important. And what Paul is saying is, listen, Timothy, you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. Timothy, you're going to be empowered by grace, but you've got to go out there and you have got to get uh, other guys on board with you, right? Now, listen, I'm going to say this uh, because I think it's important uh, and it's no slight, but Bobby, Bobby can't win Nightdale by himself. Now, I know probably Bobby thinks Bobby could. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He's a very humble guy. But look, you know, we all would like to imagine like, yeah, if it was just me, I'd go out and tell every single person on the planet about Jesus, right? But then like it is you and you don't. So uh, that's kind of where we're at, right? We're just trying to figure this out. But Bobby, he can't do it by himself, right? Like like, like there is no way possible if all Bobby did, if Bobby, you know, said, I'm not going to eat anymore. I'm not going to sleep anymore. I'm just going to talk to people about Jesus. Do you think he could cover even like the county of uh, uh, Wake Wake County? You know what I mean? Like, like, could he even cover that many people before he dropped dead from exhaustion? Well, we won't talk about that. But you know, this is, this is the thing. He can't do it by himself. And Christian ministers are charged with this idea of training people up. They're charged with this idea to get people and empower them to be able to go out and to help spread the word. But it only works if there's people who are willing to be empowered. <laughs> The problem in most churches is not that there's nobody there who could empower someone. That's a problem in some churches. But a lot of times it honestly falls down to us. Falls down to the people who attend the church 
and aren't really willing to be empowered. <laughs> We're not really willing to be trained up. We're not really willing to put in the time and the effort that it would take for someone to entrust something precious to us, to pour into our lives the sacred scriptures, but also the application of those things. You need to ask yourself, is that where you are? Are you ready to be taught? And if not, if so, you need to find somebody to teach you. And maybe you're at a point in your Christian walk where you're ready to teach. You, you, you could at least teach somebody the basics. You need to get with somebody and, and start teaching. <laughs> you know, you need, to, you need to find out, you know, go talk to Bobby uh, and say, hey, uh, I, really, I would really love to, you know, help somebody in a discipleship group or do something or, or help, help with a connect group or do, you know, get plugged in in a class some way. I really, really want to do these things and he can help, you know, kind of pour into you so that you can pour in to other people. We need to be ready to do those things. We need to, to, to kind of uh, get out of our own way a little bit sometimes with that because this is the thing. Christianity is supposed to look like that, a system, right? You're being taught and somebody else you know, is pouring into you, and then you're not supposed to just hoard that, <laughs> right? Like, you're not supposed to just fill up until you explode. You're supposed to take that and go give it to somebody else, right? You're supposed to teach as you're being taught. That's how you learn, and that's how we can uh, affect the most number of people, because it, you just can't do it by yourself. Christianity is a team sport, but sometimes, sometimes we need reminders. <laughs> Paul goes down into Verse 14, we're skipping a bit. I understand. I wish I could cover all of it, but time. <laughs> so uh, uh, we're going down into verse 14. He says, remind them of these things. So when, when you're talking to these guys, when you're entrusting them with these precious things, here are some things that they need reminders of, right? Uh, he reminded these things. Well, what did he just talk about? He talked to, uh, about reminding these faithful men uh, of, uh, first of all, that you must work diligently and single-mindedly for the Lord like a soldier, an athlete, or a farmer. Those are the three examples he gets, and he goes through those. You've got to be single-minded. You can't be distracted. You've got to put in the work and the effort. He says, if you guys are going to be uh, teachers, if you guys are going to be people entrusting things to other guys, you've got to put some effort in. It's not something that happens accidentally. You've got to be single-minded about these things and not get distracted. The second thing he says to remind them of is this, that Jesus is risen from the dead and the offspring of David. Essentially, he's saying Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for. Remind them of these foundational truths. And the last thing that he says is essentially remind them that Jesus promises rewards to those who are faithful. And to endure suffering for Christ because he is faithful even if we are faithless. He says remind them of these things. And then secondly, charge them. Before God, not to quarrel about words. Which does no good, but only ruins hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now that's probably a scripture I'm guessing you guys have heard before. If you've been around church very long at all, you've probably heard 2 Timothy 2.15. I wanted to give you some context so as we dive in here, you understand what Paul's trying to get at when he says these words. The reason that I really wanted to lay on all of that is because you've probably heard that scripture quoted a little differently. Raise your hand, all right, if you guys have heard this version. You ready? 
Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Raise your hand if you've heard it that way. Here we go. There we go. Yep, we got hands. You guys like that translation? <laughs> it's pretty, pretty sweet, right? comes from the old, old King Jimmy. All right. Uh, actually, it comes from the Tyndale Bible. If you go back far enough, uh, they were all just ripping off of each other. Uh, so <laughs> here's, here's what happens, right? And, and this word is changed. You notice in the ESV, I have uh, uh, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And then in uh, the King James, we have study to show thyself approved unto God, right? And, and the, the real bummer is, because I've used that verse, I mean, a ton. I think if anybody's ever taught a lesson on Bible study or anything, you guys have 100% totally used that verse, right? Second Timothy 2 15, it's like the money verse for Bible reading. Like we're going there. It's happening. You guys aren't writing your Bibles enough. We're taking you to Timothy and taking you to task. That's that bravado we talked about earlier. So, so look, you know, th- this is what we hear it as. And the only problem, the, the only little tiny problem is it's just totally wrong. <laughs> that, that translation is just not a translation. It's just an idea that somebody stuck in there. The Greek word here in this text has nothing to do with studying. And, and I, I wish it did because it's so convenient, you know what I mean? It's like sweet, but just doesn't. And it's this verse I hear quoted out of context and misrepresented probably more than any other verse. People who have never cracked open a King James Bible in the last decade will switch versions in their brain when they're quoting between 2 Timothy 2.14 and 2 Timothy 2.15. They just stick that study right on in there. You know, it's like, hey, I got to go King Jimmy for a second. Don't mind me, thyself and shoe and that and what. Like they just get all excited about that. And here they are putting this on in a way that isn't there. Let me explain. And, and I know it sounds nitpicky, but let me just explain what I'm talking about for a second. The Greek word spudazo means to hasten or to be swift. Think about it like speedy or spudazi, right? You know, you're, you're a speedy guy, right? You're hasty and you're eager and you're diligent. And by implication, it means to make a strong effort towards something. Imagine you are trying to run. To run takes everything that you have, right? Like running, you got to beat those arms, you got to beat those legs, you got to breathe, you got to, you know, use your heart. I don't know what that's for. I don't do that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but here's the thing. You got to do all those things and, and, and you have to apply a strong effort. You got to apply yourself to one of these things. And lest you accuse me of quarreling over words, like we just talked about in verse 14, if you were following along there, let me explain why that's important. The difference is essential. Study to show thyself approved or be diligent to show thyself approved. Why is that important? Here it is. You cannot study your way into God's approval. It's impossible. Can't do it. God's approval comes through faith and repentance and obedience and not through intellectual application. It's not how it works. You can't study yourself into God's approval, and no amount of Bible reading is going to make God happy with you if you are ignoring everything he says. And there are so many people who have read their Bibles their whole lives and have never put any of it into practice. That's hard. I've been that guy before. 
I can talk about the Bible. I can teach the Bible. I can look into the Bible. But where is the Bible when I need it? On the dresser where it belongs until study time. Listen, friends, you can't study yourself into God's approval and no lack of study will prevent it either. There are a lot of people on the other side of that equation. There are people with learning disabilities, uh, with, with uh, difficulty in studying ADHD, uh, uh, a number of other things that make it incredibly difficult for them to sit down and read long chunks of the Bible at one time. It's very hard for them. And they feel so much guilt when people stand up and say, well, you got to study. You got to study. You got to be studious. You got to read. You got to read. You got to read. You got to read more and more and more. And they're like, I can't. I'm already at my limit. I can't even get anything like that sometimes. I just need someone to explain it to me. And that's not wrong. Because that is most of what they did in the New Testament. Most people couldn't read. They had to have faithful men who were entrusted with the words to come along and to help them to understand. We need more people doing that work. And studying, I am not anti-study, all right? I'm just saying that's not what this verse says. And the, the, the crucial difference is that's not how we earn God's forgiveness. That's not how we earn God's co- uh, approval. Christianity is not an intellectual exercise only for the studious or hyper-intelligent. Christianity has never been about understanding the minute details of every passage. It has been about what to do with the knowledge that you have. Roger Chambers said it this way. The understanding of theology is not the hallmark of Christianity. Repentance is. Let me me say that one more time because I think it's a pretty good quote. Understanding theology, understanding uh, these deep theological concepts is not what makes you a Christian or not. What makes you a Christian is whether or not you repent when you hear the word of God. It's about application. And so what this verse really means when you break it down is not just to study the word, not just to look into the word. He already covered that in the beginning. He said the things that you have heard from me, be ready to entrust. Well, you got to hear some word before you're able to teach, right? we're, We're already past that. What this verse is talking about specifically is make every effort that when you uh, go out to live, you live in such a way that you do not have to be ashamed as a worker who's been approved by God because you put the word into practice because you're not just a hearer. And specifically in Timothy's case, the thing that Paul is asking him to put into practice is to handle the word truthfully. To handle the word with integrity, to make straight paths for people, to cut right down the middle with people, and and to put that into practice with people, to essentially entrust the words to others. The word of truth needs to be shared, and that's what he's talking about when he gets in there. And when we're entrusting the word to others, we need to do it in a way that's right, right? We need to handle that word correctly. Well, how do you do that? Well, first of all, accuracy, right? Like, we don't want to say something that God has not said, right? Everybody raise your hand and say, I don't want to say something that God has not said, right? Because that's called <coughs> blasphemy. So anyway, uh, <laughs> look, you don't want to speak on behalf of God and claim to have that authority if you do not. Understood? 
You know what they did with people in the Old Testament who did that? They stoned them to death. That's what they did. If somebody claimed to speak for God and was not correct on anything, they killed them. That's how the Old Testament law is written. You do not want to be there, okay? You want to only say what the scriptures say. And when the scripture doesn't say something, you don't need to add your own two cents in. And claim that it's from God. Now you can add your two cents in. I'm doing a lot of adding my two cents. I'm probably at like a buck 48 at this point. Okay. Listen. You can say that. But just label it as such. This is my opinion about this. Right. Maybe a, a quick example of how you could do that. Is stop quoting it as study to show thyself approved. And start quoting it as be diligent to show yourself approved. And not add that word that you know is not really in there. In there. Even if it's convenient. It's one way to accurately handle the word of truth and it takes some study to find some of those things out right the Bereans uh, are commended by Paul as being of Luke I guess uh, as being of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true they put in some effort that was noble and that was good and commendable accurately handling uh, the word is not just about what you do with it though it's also about what you don't do with it and the weird part about this scripture is it is smack dab in the middle of a bunch of negative commands about what not to do. There's like this one little scripture that says, well, be, make sure that you handle the word truthfully so you can be an approved workman. But all around it is all this talk about what not to do. Let me give you an example. Verse 14 says, do not quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. You guys ever heard that around the church before? <laughs> Anybody ever quarreled a little bit about some words? <laughs> you ever got really nitpicky about something that honestly didn't matter that much? Well, the Bible says don't do that. <laughs> and, and, and usually we use the verse right after it to prove that you should do that. <laughs> get in there and get those nitpicks out, right? And, and we're like, you know, figure them all out so you can go out and you can bash your friends over the head with the, uh, the Bible, right? And that's not what we're trying to do here. He says don't quarrel about words, you know what? I'm guilty of that. And I think I've ruined some hearers for that. Been there. Verse 16 says this, avoid irreverent babble. Really, literally, it just means empty talk. He says, for it will lead into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has happened and they are upsetting the faith of some. As I said earlier, beware of the people who come to you and say, this is a certain thing from God, but they don't have any scripture to show that. <laughs> These guys were going around and saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And Paul says, well, that's just empty. It's empty talk. It's got no substance to it. It's got no base to it. It's not handled accurately. These guys had talk, but it was empty, and their speculations and guesswork that weren't based on the scriptures landed them into falsehood and obviously destroyed the faith of the people that were listening to them. We need to be careful when we teach about the word, not just to guess, not just to speculate, not to call out uh, empty words. Verse 23 says the last one. It says this, have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. You know that they only breed quarrels, Timothy. <laughs> Have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. 
raise your hand if you've ever been in a foolish and ignorant controversy. Unfortunately, probably everybody that didn't raise their hand is a liar. <laughs> Let's fight about it. No, I'm just kidding. The truth is, we've all been there. We've fought with people when we could have not. We fought just to prove a point, just to prove that we were smarter or better or more well-studied. Look how much we've poured into the scriptures and you haven't on points that really don't matter. I've been there. And maybe you haven't thought about the word like that. Maybe you're still kind of new to this. You'll probably get there. Uh, but uh, listen, even if it's outside of the scriptures, there are controversies and battles that just don't matter. Because as it says, it only breeds quarrels. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times we breed quarrels where we could breed unity. We say things and get amped up about things when we really should just be wrapping our arms around our brothers and sisters in Christ and saying, you know what? I love you. I hope you love me. And I hope we have an opportunity to continue to serve the Lord together instead of fighting and nitpicking about stuff that doesn't matter. I'm going to go ahead and ask uh, Matt and Maddie to come up now because we're getting wrapped up. But I want you to know that I need this verse. I want you to know that uh, when I was studying for this, there were more than a few conversations that came to my mind. Things that if I had paid more attention to what was said in 2 Timothy, rather than just looking at it and memorizing it and using it to arm myself for battle, maybe I would have put into practice in my own life. I want you to know that I've hurt people and started fights that I could have abandoned. I love to study. I love to be right. <laughs> Who doesn't? I don't ever want to be wrong. I was wrong once. It was terrible. But sometimes it's just not worth it. And there's people that I don't have in my life today that I could have, maybe. If I wouldn't have been that way, if I would have listened and applied the scriptures. Sometimes I just haven't been that unashamed workman. A person who can stand before God and say, I did everything that I could to teach these people in honesty and sincerity without some grudge in the situation. I still need to learn more what that really looks like. Paul's writing to Timothy, I think maybe in some cases, even with a little experience himself. I wonder if he's writing to him to say, listen, you, you were with me on some of those trips and you remember some of the things. Timothy, be careful because that just breeds quarrels. It just causes fights 
And that's not what we're in it for. We're in it for people. The most precious thing that there is in this world is the people sitting next to you, the people in your life that you can draw alongside of and encourage and build up and teach as we grow together to understand God more and more. And end with this last scripture at the very end of 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. I love the way this ends. I could have wrote a whole sermon here, but I won't. <laughs> and it's a, it's a section of verses that I have trouble sometimes even seeing myself in. Listen to these words and tell me if there's anything that resonates with you that maybe you need to work on this morning. Paul says this, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Those brothers and sisters that are around us, he says. In verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will friends the people around you in this world are not your enemies you don't have any enemies that is how to live as a worker, unashamed, unashamed, empowered by grace. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you know my life. God, you know the stupid and dumb fights I've been in. God, you know the, uh, the foolish controversies and the ignorant speculation. God, the quarrels about words and details. Father, grow me in you to be better. Father, that I could stand before you as a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. Father, teach me and teach us, God, what it looks like to love people enough to treat them not as enemies but as friends God teach us how to be these kind of Christians and these kind of leaders and these kind of people love you Lord I pray God that if there's anybody in this room Father that needs to talk God that they would reach out to somebody I pray this in your son's name Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movement.com.
movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.